The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. On our podcast today, Paul Tudor Jones. We've got to be careful not to mythologize this into the pandemic Godzilla because we can beat this thing. We're going to squash it and send it back to the oblivion that it crawled out of. The hedge fund titan and philanthropist was the first money manager to tell CNBC that he was concerned about the coronavirus back in January. Today, how he feels about his future telling abilities. What a damn mess. Contending with the unprecedented shock of a pandemic to the economy. Investors can take heart that we've counteracted this existential shock with the greatest fiscal monetary bazooka. It's not even a bazooka. It's more like a nuclear bomb. And the rocky road ahead. I'm much more nervous about uh, the loss of life that could come with a 15 or 20 percent unemployment rate than I am about the loss of life that comes with CD19. It's Thursday, March 26th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. COVID-19 has upended the U.S. economy and our lives. Last week, over 3 million Americans filed for unemployment. That's the largest number in such a short time, at least as long as the Labor Department records go back, which is to the 1960s. This record-shattering number is the first indication of how hard the labor force is being hit by the pandemic. To mitigate some of the pressure on Americans, the Senate passed a $2 trillion economic relief package that is now heading to the House, which hopes to approve it by Friday. And all the while, cases of coronavirus around the world continue to rise. The death tolls in Italy and in Spain have now surpassed China's, and new cases in New York are escalating. The virus's death toll is awful to contemplate, but what could also be pretty frightening, the loss of life we could see from a spike in unemployment. That is, according to Paul Tudor Jones, a hedge fund titan, and our highlight interview today on the pod. Paul Tudor Jones is the founder and chief investment officer of Tudor Investment Corporation, the chairman of Just Capital, and the founder of the nonprofit Robinhood, which serves New York City's homeless population. Jones was also the first guest on Squawk Box to say he was worried about the coronavirus on January 21st of this year at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. There's no antidote. There's no vaccination. Can't do it. There's no cure. We don't even know what the incubation period is. Right. And you're obviously getting ready to go to the biggest travel period in China. So are you seeing through this or not? I mean, on, on a morning like today, when David Tepper right, on I'm Friday... I'm a trader, not an investor. Correct. So if I was an investor, I'd, 
I'd be really nervous. Since those comments just two months ago, the S&P has fallen 25%. Paul Tudor Jones joined us via Skype today on Squawk Box with Andrew Ross Sorkin, Joe Kernan, and Becky Quick. Here's Andrew. Paul, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Andrew. What a damn mess. Um, You have... What a mess. Uh, tell us about it. You've been thinking about this, uh, I think, literally since we spoke with you back in January. You also wrote a letter to your uh, investors in February calling this right again. Uh, so understanding where your head is at right now, uh, where the market is at and where this is all headed is very important. How do you see it? Well, I think COVID-19 is, uh, listen, it's unlike anything we've obviously ever seen before. If we kind of Think about where we are right now. We're probably, if you if you look at the the Hubei experience, uh, and we extrapolate from that what is getting ready to happen in the United States to New York in particular, we're probably we're probably going to hit our peak somewhere between April fourth and April tenth. My guess is we could have uh, somewhere between three and four hundred thousand cases in the United States. It's going to be a that's going to be a really challenging period, I think, for us as Americans, because certainly in New York City, our healthcare system is going to get overwhelmed. Uh, and it's going to be something that I think all of us have to steal ourselves for. We there's a really high probability it's going to come. Uh, I don't think we need to panic. Uh, I look at this like uh, when I used to box, uh, I remember I never got knocked down in my life, but having seen many people get knocked down, you learn something from that uh, in your next fight. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to see the worst of COVID-19. It's going to throw its best punch over the course of the next, say, somewhere in the next two weeks. Uh, And then we're going to be on the backside of that. And the good news, the great news is that in Hubei, from the peak It was 24 days, 24 days from the peak to where they went back down to under 100 cases a day. So we've got to remember there is light on the other side of this. Uh, We're going to get through it. It's going to be something that uh, unfortunately probably didn't have to happen but has happened. Let's not think about what could have been. Let's think about where we're going to be and what we're going to do on the other side. Paul, explain this. So you're using Cuban numbers uh, to extrapolate out and, and model out. Um, and, and I would tell you, by the way, I, I love your optimism. I, I hope you're right. One of the questions, though, is whether this starts to roll across the country, uh, meaning, you know, the, the measures that were taken in China really did quarantine the situation uh, in Hubei for the most part. Uh, we have not had a national lockdown. We're starting to see hot spots emerge in other uh, places like New Orleans, in Atlanta, elsewhere. Uh, you know, New York may have its own curve, and, 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 and hopefully we will get to the other side of that in a couple of weeks, but uh, there may be new curves that emerge. And so how, how do you think about that as part of that timeline, or are you convinced that this has been locked down now? So clearly everything that you say is 100% correct. I'm looking at Italy because I think Italy is going to be the analog for us. Hubei, they had in Hubei command and control, right? If you think about China, it's a surveillance economy. Everyone has an ID. Every phone can be tracked. Uh, If you think about the preventive measures they took, 
maybe on a scale of one to ten, they're a ten. And maybe where we're going to go in a free society is going to be something like a five. So whereas they had railroad tracks, if you look at their epidemic curve, uh, they had vertical railroad tracks. We're going to probably have more like a hill and we're going to have a, 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 a fatter, a fatter right tail. And, and again, I would look at Italy uh, for us t- as the guide as to what we can expect. And then clearly we're learning as we go through this, right? It's if you if you again if we go back to China, uh, people who were food preparers. I was uh, in a McDonald's yesterday, <clears throat> and they're serving food without masks, without gloves. In China, uh, all food preparers at fast food were wearing uh, masks, wearing gloves. They were taking your temperature uh, on the streets. They were taking your temperature in restaurants. It's going to be interesting to see how our society responds to the pain and suffering that we're going to witness uh, over the course of the next two weeks as we get to the peak of the epidemic curve. Uh, having said all that, uh, and it is, and listen, my heart goes out to the people that are going to be our first responders. My heart goes out to the people that are going to be affected. My own daughter uh, has has CV-19 right now. She's recovering from it. She had a mild case, mm-hmm. gratefully. I'm, we're so blessed. At 25 years old, 26 years old, she wasn't, she had nothing more than a mild case. She and her, uh, she and her fiance. So I've seen firsthand what you have to do to self-quarantine. I've seen firsthand the impacts that I've had on them. And I get nervous. I get nervous and something as we go through these, uh, and again, I think the next two weeks are going to be the most challenging for us from an emotional and psychological standpoint, because we're going to see this 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 curve and the new cases escalate every day. But we've also got to be careful not to mythologize this particular disease. Let's assume a worst case scenario, a worst case scenario. Let's assume a million cases, which is two and a half times what I think we're going to have. And let's assume uh, a mortality rate. And and again, forgive me for uh, speaking with such morbidity, but let's assume a uh, a fatality rate of 4%, mortality rate of 4%, like what we're seeing globally. So 40,000 Americans, sadly and tragically, will die. That still is the equivalent of what we see during the flu season. So We've got to be careful not to mythologize this into the pandemic Godzilla, uh, because we can beat this thing. America can beat this thing. Humanity can beat this thing. And we're going to we actually will. We're going to squash it and send it back to the oblivion that it crawled out of. I have zero doubt in my mind on that. We just got to we've got to be calm. We got to stay rational, not panic over the next two weeks. Hey, Paul, first of all, I'm so sorry to hear about your daughter, although uh, relieved to hear that it was a mild case. She's been working. She worked every single day remotely while she had it. So, um, again, there's for the large portion of the population, this is not going to be a life threatening or it's going to be life changing, but not a life threatening, not not a life threatening thing for a large portion of the of the population. I realize you've done the numbers and, and kind of worked this out, and that, and that doesn't sound like it's unreasonable to think a 4% mortality. That's probably higher than a lot of people think we're really going to see in terms of mortality cases. Having said I was that, just saying, no, no, no. I think we hear- it will be much less. 
I'm saying in a war's case yeah, basis. I think it'll be much less too. I, I just I think on social media and the media, we've got to realize we're prone to hype things beyond what they are. And we have to all remember. I, I, I understand that entirely. And I, I, I just want to talk through a little bit what we hear from doctors pretty frequently, including Dr. Scott Gottlieb, even though he thinks, too, you'll come out the other side. You're talking eight to 10 weeks on something like this. The concern doctors have is trying to flatten that curve right now so that it is less overwhelming on the healthcare systems like New York City. You go along with that. I, I, I understand everything you're saying, but there are some people who, who hear what you're saying and then think, as a result, it should be business as usual and these states should not be doing lockdowns. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm I'm saying we have to be extraordinarily vigilant, vigilant and, and, and exercise, implement and practice extreme safety measures until we get on the other side of the epidemic curve and see it in a free fall. There's no question that's what we have to do. I think and my guess is that that's going to be sometime uh, in late April, early May. That would be optimistic. That would be following the Hubei example. And again, you, you, if you just think about this, we've got these these incredible experiments going on country by country. Some of it, China, command and control, Singapore, command and control, Hong Kong, command and control. They did a, a great job. We've got free societies in Europe, in the United States that are experiencing, are going to experience much different outcomes. And then tragically, we've got uh, less developed countries like in Africa, who I worry about the most, with the most vulnerable populations, who are not going to be able, I think, to get even as far as uh, as many free societies in Western Europe as well as the United States. And, and those are the ones that I worry about the most. But where we'll end up, say, three, four, five months from now, is we'll have these beta tests of various degrees of intervention by public authorities, varying various degrees of onboarding by private citizens of this of the protocols that it takes to actually stop this. And it's and then we'll also have a real-time GDP experiment to understand the impacts it has on the economies. And we'll know so much more in three or four months. And I think we'll be prepared. You know, fool me once shame on you. Uh, fool me twice, shame on me. We'll be so much better prepared this fall to be able to deal with this. And I think to get back to business as usual and to resume uh, the way our lives were but three months ago. And I think we'll learn, we'll learn again, tragically, a lot about herd immunity. Uh, because we're going to see that, right. unfortunately, Paul. practice real time in some less developed countries. Hey, Paul, um, you know, you were uh, right on the money in January to tell us that if you were an investor, you would uh, be nervous. You would be risk off. Given where we are right now um, in terms of the curve that you've now talked about and where the stock market is right now, if you were an investor, what would you be doing? I think, what's, I think what we're going to see is um, let, let's just first of all, let's frame what's happened from a monetary and fiscal stance. So from a fiscal stance, we have a fiscal package of 10% of GDP. That's double what we got in October of 2008, double. Now they came with another package in March of 2009 that got us up to 10%. And my guess is 
we'll be back with a bigger fiscal package somewhere down the road. From a monetary standpoint, we've already, and by the end of this week, we'll have bought $1 trillion worth of treasuries and mortgage backs. We did in two weeks what it took the Fed eight months to do in 2009. Remember, we didn't even get quantitative easing until well after the great financial crisis had started, well into the recession. Here, we've got a trillion in two weeks. By May, we will have already, at this rate, already have purchased what took us six years to do in the great financial crisis. So investors can take heart that we've counteracted this existential shock with the greatest fiscal monetary bazooka. It's not even a bazooka. It's, 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 it's more like uh, a nuclear bomb. That's literally the countermeasures that we brought in to sit there and to bring uh, safety to our economic system. So I think some combination of those two will buy us time. As Chairman Powell said this morning, it's, it's the bridge to the future. Now, what happens, so my guess is, my guess is one of the reasons the market's up right now is because of all the month-end rebalancing that the market's front-running. It sees the fact that there are going to be a lot of equities to buy. Um, and that's one reason. I, my guess is we'll stay firm into month-end. And then we're going to be challenged in April. We're going to be challenged as we go through uh, the epicenter, the, the, the peak of the epidemic curve. So I think that, that could bring us to a retest. It might even bring us to a fractional new low. But I do think the stock market's going to find a bottom. Once we get the peak in the epidemic curve, no doubt in my mind, the stock market will rally, and it should rally. And my guess is we'll be higher three or four months from now, five months from now, than lower than where we are right now. What happens after that is highly dependent upon our ability to get back to work, our ability to resume normal functioning. And... Um, it's really interesting. You've got this dynamic tension. You've got uh, people such as myself in the economic field thinking about getting back to work, thinking about resuming normal activity. And you've got people in the medical profession who can only see the problems that they're dealing with. And my God, again, my heart goes out to them because they're dealing with these huge problems. Um, but I can tell you from an economic standpoint, the risk that we have if we don't Again, each of us individually begin to think about how we're going to get back to work, how we're going to deal with the new normal. If we don't begin today, not get paralyzed by the next two weeks and think about how we're going to resume a normal life on the back end of this epidemic curve, we're all making a big mistake. So we've got to look through these numbers, look through the tragedy the next two weeks, think about how we're going to restart our lives, think about how we're going to deal with the new normal, and, and think about how we're going to restart America. The thing that I'm nervous about, and one reason why I keep pushing this theme so much, is that I, I think people give our economy too much credit for its resilience. If I just look at the, the biggest thing that I'm worried about for the long run is that we have a huge, enormous debt buildup over the past four decades to levels that we've never seen before uh, in the history of this country. So debt to GDP going into the 2000 NASDAQ top was 180 percent. 
Uh, in 2007, it was 225%. And at the end of this year, we're going to be 270%. So it makes me really nervous. The resiliency, the possibility of a V-bottom, uh, we have impediments to that. We have structural impediments to it, which is the amount of debt that we have. So I think we're going to have to think smart, and we're going to have to begin now to think about how are we going to restart our businesses and do it living with CB19. And we may have to live with something that's going to be, again, an impairment to our society, but it doesn't have to be the end of our society. So um, I don't know if we'll, if we'll uh, eradicate it. I do know that if we have... Uh, great testing. If we can have just in a few months' time, three, four, five months' time, if we have testing so that we can identify and begin contact tracing individually, and as a society, if we embrace that, then we can live with CB19. We can live with people being out of work for a period of time, self-isolated, quarantined, and get back to things as normal. I think that's what we've got to do. I, I'm, I'm, most, I'm yeah. most hopeful Paul, for the testing Paul. thing. Paul, um, in, you're a trader, obviously, but you're also a, a human being. And you talked about, you know, your family and, and things like that. When you were most, uh, I don't know whether you would call it despair, but at, at your moment of, of peak worry about this, did you ever think in numbers of, of millions dying in, in the United States? Was that a possibility at some point? And is it still a possibility that, that it could get to that Zero point? Or, or did you never Zero really... Chance. Did you zero chance? Zero. Please, we are, we are too smart. Uh, we're too smart as a, as a, as a people. We're too resilient. I, I, again, I think when this is all over and said and done, we're gonna we're gonna look at death rates very similar to the flu because we're gonna take the precautions that are necessary to keep us from suffering from that type of uh, mortality rate from CB19. What I'm worried about, uh, and I'll be really honest, what I'm worried about is if, if again, our economy is, oh my Lord, we had this, we, we had a 40, 50 year buildup of a globally interconnected, globally leveraged, highly sophisticated, fine-tuned economy built on, uh, built on global trust, built on individual trust institutions with huge amounts of uh, uh, cross-connectivity. So now all of a sudden we've got this, again, this event that has stopped all that. Uh, we're closing borders. We're going insular. And so I'm more nervous about what happens if we have something that's between the Great Depression and the, and the Great Financial Crisis, what are the human impacts of that? I'm much more nervous about uh, the loss of life that could come with a 15 or 20 percent unemployment rate than I am about the loss of life that comes with CV-19. CV-19 may cost us, let's say CV-19 again, uh, I think we're going to peak out somewhere in the three to 400,000 range. And if again, if I use a a, an overly uh, pessimistic view of 4% mentality rate because our healthcare system will be overwhelmed in the next two weeks. We're talking 16,000 people. In the Great Depression, there was a, a study that was out. A 10-point a 10 rise in unemployment rate could have as many as 200,000 fatalities associated with it from 
health impairment, suicides, opioid use, drug use, et cetera. So I'm thinking about, and again, as someone uh, in the economic world, I, I understand the necessity and the need for us to deal with CB19, but I don't, I don't think that's our biggest threat. Our biggest threat is what happens to the economy on the other side. And that's why I think each of us has to think, how are we going to restart our business? What do we need to do to make people safe, feel safe, to interact again in business? Wearing masks um, and, and, and right. wearing masks, wearing gloves, wiping down. And I think as American people, we're fastidious and we'll do as a human race. We're going to do this. We're going to we're going to kick this bug's ass. And we've got to think about how we're going to resume our normal our normal lives. Hey, Paul, um, we want to thank you for joining us. But before we let you go, I know you're doing a lot of work with Robin Hood um, in New York, which is going to be uh, the epicenter of this, at least uh, in the near term. Uh, what are you working on uh, with the Robin Hood program in New York right now? Well, we had our benefits scheduled a year ago for May 11th at the Javits Center. The Javits Center is now a hospital. Uh, but we're going to have our benefit. It's going to be a virtual benefit. It's going to be on May 11th. We're going to broadcast uh, from a variety of locations. Uh, we're still going to, we're going to, instead of serving, uh, having 4,000 people, we're going to hopefully have this televised and we're going to have whether it's 400,000 or 4 million. Uh, New York City is the epicenter. And this bill that was just passed uh, that, you know, if you listen to Pelosi, Schumer, Trump, Workers, 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 and God forbid we're going to need help for American workers. They deserve it. But there's a, again, there wasn't that much in there for the most destitute and the most poor. Uh, and so, yes, we've got relief for workers, but in New York, which is the most number of people in poverty, 1.8 million, there's a lot of undocumented workers. There are people who've been out of work for more than a month that will not be eligible for these checks. I can tell you food pantries have already seen a 50% spike in people going. We've lost our volunteers because people are afraid to go out in a variety of our organizations. This is the most important time for uh, people to help the most poor because they're the ones that are going to suffer the most. Imagine all the kids in shelter who don't have the ability to get an education because they don't have online access. They don't have computers. There's so much that we've got to do, and we're going to do it on May 11th. So tune in because it's going to be a great night. It's going to be an uplifting night. It's, it's going to be like our 9-11 relief fund that we had back in 9-11. I'll never forget. We were all so scared after the Twin Towers came down, and then we had the anthrax scare. We were scared to even put that event on. And I remember at that event, we had our first responders. And on introducing the WHO, this fireman came up, and he had lost his brother in 9-11. In he said, Osama bin Laden, you can kiss my royal fat Irish ass. And the place went nuts. That moment, that was the moment that America began to fight back. So I'm hoping May 11th will be one of those beautiful moments where we'll be on the backside of the epidemic curve. We'll do it uh, virtually and we'll show you can continue life, but in a new way. 
and we're going to continue business as usual, and we're going to help the people who need it the most. And it's going to be a great night. So uh, more details on that. We'll come back. And again, I'm optimistic. This brings out the best in us, these crises, these crises do. Uh, 2008 and the great financial crisis, Robin Hood raised more money than it ever has. So I'm really optimistic about the future. Uh, I know we'll beat this thing, and uh, I look forward to doing my small part in it, like each of us is going to. Paul Tudor Jones, uh, it's a privilege to spend time with you. Uh, Thank you uh, for spending the last half hour with us. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod. We are on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you listen. And hey, tell a friend to subscribe too. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.